Good morning, church. If you hear my heartbeat through the mic, it's probably because I'm super excited to exposit this text with you. And plus, you look really good today, so I'm, I'm really nervous. <laughs> but either way, um, I was fortunate enough growing up that I went to a family uh, that brought me to church. My mom and dad went to church, and my mom used to read Bible stories to me before I went to sleep. And she used to teach me songs, uh, a Christian song. She used to read the word to me. And I heard the gospel from her at a very young age. And uh, she actually put on Christian television. And two of the ones that I remember were Donut Man and uh, Steve Green's Hide Him in Your Heart. Does anybody remember Donut Man? Yeah? Life without Jesus is like a donut. Come on, kids. It's like you got a hole in the middle of your heart, right? I'm probably aging myself by using Donut Man as a, as a reference. But either way, when, when I look back, I realize that my upbringing and my mother telling me the word and me hearing it from her was absolutely essential to where I am today. Hearing the word from her was absolutely essential to where I am How many of us have heard the gospel from someone? Have you heard it from your parents? Or a stranger? Or a friend? Or a co-worker? Or maybe the gospel was brought to you by someone when you least expected it and you were doing things in your life that you shouldn't have been doing and the gospel hit you hard. But the reason why I ask these rhetorical questions and I tell you the little bit of my testimony, is because it connects directly with the central theme of our message and the central theme of this passage, which is Romans 10, 14 through 21. And that is, one must hear and believe in the gospel to be saved. Verses 14 and 15 of our text opens up with foundational questions that we all will answer today. Questions that help define what it means to hear and believe in the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's go right in and start with the first one. According to the opening verses of our text, what's it say? In order to believe in Christ, you need to call on Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And in order to call on Jesus Christ, As your personal Lord and Savior, you must first believe in Him. I know that's a little wordy. That's what the first verse that that we're entering in says. Let me repeat that. In order to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must call on Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And in order to personally call on Him as your Lord and Savior, you must first believe. That first question really helps unlock the first point of our sermon, And that is that the saving gospel requires believing in Jesus Christ and calling on Him as our personal Lord and Savior. What's verse 14, the beginning of it says? It says, how then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? In order to be saved, we must call on Him as our Lord and Savior. Why do we call out to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? It's really simple. 
Because we believe, right? Because we believe in Him, we call on Him as our personal Lord and Savior. Anybody here call on Muhammad to save them from their sins? If you raise your hand, you're at the wrong church. How about Buddha? Does anybody go to Buddha and ask, can you please save me from the wrath of God? Anybody here? How about a statue? Do we ask a statue, please forgive me of my sins? No, right? Why? It's really obvious. Because we don't recognize them. We don't believe in them as our God. The first point of our sermon and our text is one that's really easy to understand. In order to call on Jesus Christ as our Lord, we must believe in Him as our Lord. Why would we believe in something? We need, in order to believe, we must first know about someone. Why would we believe in something that we've never heard about? Why? That, would, that wouldn't even make sense. How could we believe in truth and not have knowledge of it? So in other words, to believe is to know. So as we move forward in answering these essential questions in our text, I want you to keep in mind something. The saving gospel requires knowledge of the gospel. So this is just a sub-point of the first point, but it's important because we can't believe unless we know of it. We can't believe in something unless we know about it, unless we have knowledge of it. So here at our church, we call upon the name of the Lord, right? And we have knowledge of this gospel. Why? Because we believe. The big question is, why do we believe what we believe? And throughout, past, the, throughout the past couple months, we've learned about God's election, right? It's been a major theme in, in the book of Romans. God's election and about salvation being a miracle of God. However, you and I also believe because God has ordained and orchestrated the reality that we must hear the gospel from someone. Like I asked before, all of you have heard the gospel from someone, right? That's how you came to Christ. We must hear it, which leads us to our second point. And that second point is the saving gospel needs to be communicated and heard. The first one is the saving gospel requires that we place our faith in Jesus Christ and call on Him as our Lord and Savior. And here we are at the second one, that that saving gospel needs to be communicated and heard. Romans 10, verse 14. We are walking through the text. We are expositing together. What does it say? And how were they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Who here watches the NFL? Sean, you don't count. NFL? Nobody else? So this, this would be great. Okay, so... If I say the name Jerry Rice, who here knows who he is? First thing that comes to mind when I say Jerry Rice is rice. And I like rice and beans. And I had no clue who he was. But if it wasn't for my brother Ryan, who was playing on the team with us a couple weeks ago, I would have no idea who Jerry Rice is. Jerry Rice is arguably the best wide receiver that has ever played in NFL history. Did you know that? Well, you know it now because I just told you. Okay, 
How about this? I know at this church there are a ton of Yankee fans, right? Yeah. No? Mariano Rivera. Who here knows about Mariano Rivera? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm a Yankee fan, so I know who that is. Mariano Rivera, and I'm not going to say arguably, because I don't know anybody that would debate this. He is the best closer to ever play in MLB history. Matter of fact, if the Yankees had him this year, they would have probably made the playoffs. You know, so as all the Yankee fans in the building, which doesn't seem that many of them, but, you know, if I asked you, do you know who Mariano Rivera is, you would have said no. And meanwhile, he's a big deal. If I said Jerry Rice, you would have said, I don't know who he is. Meanwhile, he's a big deal. And it leads it to an obvious point. And let me remind you of it, that you can't believe and know about someone unless you heard about them. Isn't it obvious? Right? Our text is pretty clear that those that do not hear the gospel will not be saved. I know that saying that leads us to a huge debate in the Christian community. And I got good news. I'm going to answer one of the biggest questions that we will see in, in Christian churches throughout the board. What about unreached people groups? It's a huge question, right? Huge. I know if you've gone to church for a long time, you've definitely heard someone ask that question. Can they be saved? There is a short answer to that, and it's clear in our text. Can they be Absolutely. They absolutely can. Will they be saved if they never hear the gospel? According to our text, no, they will not. The answer to the aforementioned question that I just asked is clear in this text and brings us to our third point. First point, we must put our faith in Christ and call on Him as our Savior. Right? Second point, the saving gospel requires for it to be communicated and heard. But if we have a saving message, how is it being communicated? Here we are, point three. The saving gospel comes from a sent messenger. Romans 10, 14, at the end of it, into 15. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You know, the Bible doesn't usually just mention something in one place. If you do enough study, you'll know that the, that the Bible does not contradict itself. It has answers if we look at cross-references. And here we are for Romans 10, 14, and 15. In Philippians 1, 6, it says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So we learn throughout the other chapters of Romans that salvation starts and ends with God's will in action. God has called you, and He has elected you to be saved, and He began a good work in you. And guess what? According to Philippians 1.6, He is faithful to complete it. Amen? Amen? So if God, through general revelation that we learn about in Romans 1.20, right? We learn what that is. In the, when we first started studying the book of Romans... If, if through general revelation he awakens your soul 
to find him through creation, that does what? It points us to an author of life. And it points us to a creator. If he does that, then he will send someone to deliver that message to you. And you will hear it. Here's a question. How little is your God that he can start a good work and not complete it? Until Christ returns, God's will for your life will prevail. In other words, if God has ordained your salvation, you will hear the gospel message. Because faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing. Amen. So no matter what town you're in, no matter what country, no matter what tribe, no matter what nation you are in, God is working in and through your life until you face Him on Judgment Day. Here we are walking through the text. And I will read to you Romans 10, 18. Their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. There is no place in the world where God cannot go. Amen? There is no place. And if he, is if he has ordained your salvation, there is no place where He cannot send His message in order for you to hear it. But this glorious truth gives us a reality check. And that reality check is people sharing the gospel like you and me, I hope. We work under a higher authority. And that higher authority wrote the message that we are delivering. And that is so beautiful. How beautiful is it when you hear the gospel message? How beautiful is it when you experience someone come to Christ? Isn't it beautiful? I have been blessed to see a, a person who I knew, oh, I know, who studied science for 14 years before he came to Christ. 14 years. And he would debate people on the existence of God. He wanted nothing to do with it. Until this day, this, that is one of the most powerful testimonies. I never saw it coming. And I remember my former pastor coming to me and said, this person came to Christ. What? Are you serious? That is beautiful. And you know who agrees with me? Paul. The point four of our text, the saving gospel is a beautiful reality. Paul takes from Isaiah 52.7. And I would like to read it to you just to bring in the context of what he's, what he's quoting from. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. It's Isaiah 52.7. And in our text, he quotes from that. And the text that I am referring to is Romans 10, 15. Again, we're walking through the whole text. And Paul writes, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Amen? 
Paul has a ton of cross-references in this small passage, by the way. That's just one of them. He references Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 32, and some others. But this particular reference is really touching to me personally. And I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But I think it's really applicable. It's really applicable to us today. But I want to bring in the context. I want to tell you what's going on in Isaiah. Because the cross-reference would be nothing if we don't know what's going on and why he's referencing this. You see, in Isaiah 52.7, Isaiah prophetically sees the feet of a messenger coming to bring good news to a land that desperately needed it. In Isaiah, this is one of many times, many times, where Israel is desperate and desolate. In this case, Israel had already experienced God's punishment in Egypt, and they were desperate for some good news. And Isaiah, he knew that the messenger was coming to bring it. And after a long, weary, deserving time for Israel, Judah's redemption was coming through the defeat of Babylon. And because of those beautiful feet coming to bring them that message, they no longer had to experience the face of defeat. Nobody got that pun? Come on, where's the drum roll? I had to do it, I'm sorry, it was too close. See, at first glance, this verse is really ironic. Because in our society, we never attribute beauty to feet. And a matter of fact, I'm bringing you great news today. And in this context, beautiful are my feet, but if I took off my shoes, you wouldn't agree. <laughs> but you see, in this context, it's not about the appearance of his feet. It has nothing to do with that. It's about his, the action. Imagine this. All right, and I remember this time specifically when uh, I went to a church picnic here when I was a kid. And I was determined to learn how to swim. Who knows how to swim? So the people who aren't raising their hands don't know how to swim, right? You know how to swim? Okay. I don't know how to swim. And at this picnic, for whatever reason, I was determined to learn how to swim. And a few of you were there. I was diving off the board as if I knew how to swim. And I had zero clue how to swim. But I was doggy paddling. So I got... You know, I can get to the wall or whatever. So I was feeling super confident, and I jump off the thing. I end up in the middle of the pool. No one's around. <laughs> and I'm just doggy paddling to the wall. I'm just doggy paddling. And you know what? In those moments, your body's like slowly shutting down. You can't even, you, you're just so tired, but I had, to, I had to calm my mind down. So you're going to get to the wall. It's not even that far. Come on, man. Man up. It's not even that far, dude. But you know what? When I hit that wall, it was beautiful. If you were drowning, wouldn't it be beautiful if you hit a wall or a rock or something that you could hold on to or a lifeguard coming your way? Wouldn't that be beautiful? Or imagine the beauty if you're in a desert, literally dying, not the way we say it here. At, oh, I'm dying of thirst. No, you're not. You're literally dying of thirst in a desert. Imagine how beautiful it would be if someone came with a big, giant, life-saving glass of water. Wouldn't you agree? That would be a beautiful thing, right? How many people here watch the Titanic? 
Every time my wife makes me watch that movie, I walk out of the room. I'm pretty much done with it. I've watched it like four times already, but I know most of the ladies here must love it, right? Jackie, I know you love it, right? Somebody, somebody here has got to love the Titanic. Anyway, if you were on the Titanic and it was going down and you had the blessing of being this close to a lifeboat, wouldn't that be beautiful that you were surviving that? Here's the honest truth. There is no message more beautiful than the saving gospel message. Amen. 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 There is no message. There is no message. See, in life-saving boat or in the desert, none of those things were actually physically beautiful. But what they brought to your life certainly is that messenger bringing you that good news. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. See, there is no other message more beautiful. And we are all called differently in connection to that, to that beautiful message. We are all called differently, right? Maybe some of you are not called to be up here preaching. Maybe some of you are not called to be one of the missionaries that we learned about last week that travels the world or travel different state to state, that, that, you know, that, that travel to preach the gospel. Maybe you're not called for that. But it's very clear that there is a message that is universal for all believers. You ready for it? All believers are to preach the gospel. Amen? Okay. So, how many people have you shared the gospel with this week? You don't have to answer me. All right, I get it. You know what? This, this week was tough. You know, maybe work had you up to here. I can relate. You know, maybe your wife is pregnant like me. Trust me, I have many excuses. So I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. How about for the month? How many people that you preach the gospel to in the month? How about the year? I'll, I'll even stretch it. You know what? Busy lives. How about the year? How many people did you preach to this year? And I, I don't mean preaching up here. I mean telling someone about the gospel. If the answer is zero, keep in mind that the gospel must be heard to save. According to our text, it must be heard in order to save people. Are we doing our jobs? If the answer is zero. Let me remind you of verse 17 of our text. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through what? The Word of God. So, I want to encourage you. I want to give you the call. The, the title of this sermon is The Call to the Church. Why? Because it's what I want you to take away the most. The center. I want to call out to you and encourage you to go out and preach the good news to as many people as possible. And I want that zero, that number zero to turn into 10, 20, 30, 40, 50. If you're, with, if you're working and you're speaking to coworkers or if you're speaking to friends, we all have opportunities. Are you taking them? But here is the reality. The reality is Paul and me and, and the Bible as a whole is calling you to preach the gospel to all people. 
But point five of this sermon, and in our text, is unfortunate, but it's true. The saving gospel may be rejected. In the context of our sermon, fewer and fewer Jews in proportion to the nation responded to the gospel. Kind of sounds like it's talking about our nation, right? A hardened heart, a negative attitude seemed to be more and more popular to have in that time. And it is today. And you know what antagonized the Jews even more? (laughs) Is that the gospel had been received by Gentiles in even greater number that really antagonized them. And you know what Paul has to say about this? Because of the condition of the people during that time, he then quotes Deuteronomy 32.1 in verse 19 of our text. And he says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This reference to Deuteronomy is a part of Moses' song. Did you know know Moses wrote songs? I would really be interested to sing this one on the worship team. I wonder how it goes. Uh, This song was written... To who? To Israel. In which he responds to them and voices God's jealousy. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you would know that Israel loves idols. They shouldn't have. But their idolatry, they kept falling back on it. And Moses was responding to their idolatry, communicating that God was jealous. And consequently, the spiritual condition of Israel did not come because they did not hear the gospel. And it did not even come because they didn't understand it. It came the same reason why it comes today. A continuous pattern of stubbornness and a rebellious spirit. So, unfortunately, there is no guarantee that those who hear the gospel will accept and believe but does that mean we can't do our jobs? If faith comes from hearing, I want to do mine. And we are to follow the example of Isaiah that Paul gives us in the closing in of this text. Again, there are so many cross-references here. This is just one of them. What does he say in Romans 10, 21? I have been found by those who did not seek me I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. It may not seem like this at first glance, but there is so much hope in this closing verse of our text. There is so much hope. How many of us have friends family, co-workers, loved ones, that in the depths of our heart, we crave for them to be saved. Every one of us should be raising our hands. Every one. But there is hope. There is hope in these verses. 
It says, for them, there is hope for them as long as we stay focused on our call to preach what needs to be heard. We preach to people that do not seek us. Just like Isaiah. And spread the gospel to those that don't ask for it. And we are to hold out our hands to people even when they're disobedient. You want to know why? Because faith comes by hearing. And I don't know about you, but I want someone's saving message to come out of my mouth. Not so that I can get the glory, but so that the kingdom of God can be advanced for God's glory. And we all want people's soul to be saved. So the call to you is to continue to preach the good news. Even if people reject it, you are to continue to preach it. So in conclusion, are you listening to the call to preach the good news of Jesus Christ? Are you listening to that call? Are you taking every opportunity to spread His message? Are you? Well, if you're here or if you're watching and if you've never heard the gospel message, I want to take a moment to give it to you. If faith comes by hearing, I want you to hear this. See, the Bible tells us that we have all fallen short of God's glory. What does that mean? That means that God is perfect and we, we are not. Who's here? Who here is perfect? No one? Me neither. So in other words, there is always going to be friction in our relationship with God unless we fix that. Unless we fix. You ever try to mix oil and water? No matter how much you try, it won't mix. That's like sin in God. A perfect God tried to be mixed with sin doesn't work. But you know what? God knew that no matter what we do, no matter how much we try, there is no action that we can do to make ourselves righteous before God. There is nothing. So you know what he said? I'm going to do all the work for you. And I'm going to send my son on the cross to die for you. To die for those who place their trust in him and take the weight of sin on him. And to take God's wrath on him because he knew that there was nothing that you can do to make yourself appear righteous before Him. You know what? It didn't end at Jesus' death on the cross. It didn't end there at all. You don't serve a dead God. Amen? Your God is alive. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead, conquering death. And you know what happened? He proved to the world that He was not just merely a man, but that He was God in the flesh. And if you're a Christian, we celebrated Reformation Day yesterday. And we now know that by the grace of God alone, through faith, 
alone in Christ, alone we are saved. And how do we know that? Through Scripture alone. For the glory of God alone. Those are the truths that we really focus in on for for Reformation Day, but those are the truths that we see here. We are saved by hearing, by grace alone, through faith alone. So is the Holy Spirit calling you and pulling you to a relationship with Christ? Is He? If He is, I'm here to tell you, you don't need me, and you don't need a pastor, or you don't need an elder to go to God for you. You don't need me to say a certain prayer and you repeat it and you're good. No, you need to go to God yourself and you're able to, through His Son, Jesus, you have access to the Father. And through faith in Christ Jesus, you are now adopted into God's family. And if you never had a father, guess what you do now? And you are adopted into His family and He becomes your heavenly Father. And you go to Him and you say, I want you to be my Savior. Renew my heart. Circumcise my heart. Make your ways my ways, Lord. And reveal yourself to me. That's all you have to say. I don't have to say it for you. So if you're watching this, or if you're here, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. That you would ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior. He's the Savior. He's the only Savior. But do you know that He has to be your Savior? And you have to have a personal relationship with Him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we learn through the reading of this text that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And we are being sent to preach the good news to everyone. Father God, I pray for those that do not know You that today would be the day of salvation. That this sermon, that our church embracing them with love, that Your Word that pierces through the heart of men, that Your Holy Spirit would convict them. And Lord, I also pray for Christians that the call to the church would be a call that they bring to their hearts today. That they would go and preach the good news to all nations. And they would tell as many people as they can. Father, we love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.